This is the Good to Great podcast series for the U.S. home building and residential development industry, hosted by U.S. Human Capital Group President Gerard Ball. We are a specialist mid to senior level executive search firm that can help to grow your U.S. home building teams and businesses by harnessing the power of big data, automation, and round the clock digital strategies, helping you identify, hire, and retain the top 15% of talent in your market. If you are a business or individual seeking the best talent or opportunities in the market, call us on 813-556-6575 or email Gerard Direct on Gerard at ushumancapital.com. Welcome to this US Home Builder from Good to Great podcast episode with me, Gerard Ball. Today I'm talking with the president of National Home Builder Franchise Epcom Franchising, Paul Hansen. Paul has held leadership roles in the home building industry for two decades, joining Epcon in 2018, and he's overseen a dramatic expansion, more than doubling the franchise network. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Okay. Well, look, uh, welcome to the US Home Builder Good to Great podcast series and potentially the Business Resilience Hub. Uh, webinar series. Let's let's start at the beginning. Um, how did you come into home building? Well, in a lot of ways, by accident. I went to university and just graduated with a degree in accounting. But at the time that I graduated, the financial crisis was hitting accounting in particular hard, the accounting firms. And so I looked at other opportunities outside of that discipline. And one that really started to stick with me was uh, an opportunity with a national home builder. And I loved how they framed that opportunity up. They talked about the entrepreneurial nature of it, that they would put me in charge of one of their communities, have me be the primary contact with customers throughout the building process. And that was really appealing, just the idea that level of freedom, autonomy, and um, influence and impact at such a young age. And as I got into it, I really loved it even more. Um, just loved working with these buyers as they were building their dream homes and starting to see a community come out of a, a field and know that I had some role in that and really came to love it and did that for the first four or five years of my career before moving on to other disciplines within the industry, such as purchasing sales and financial analysis. Okay. In, in terms of going through the, the purchasing and sales, was, was that all part of the, uh, the original company? It was, yes. So I was with them for 12 years. And so as I did well there, there were opportunities that came. The first one was that purchasing role. And that was great to learn how things worked a little bit behind the scenes. And then yeah. uh, just part of a training and development, got involved in other areas, um, moving towards uh, a larger role that I had when I was in Florida for that builder. In terms of just, in terms of the, the, the different disciplines, did you, did you find any more tricky to pick up than others? I would say for my personality, sales was actually the one that if, if I had to pick one that was trickier, that was it. Uh, I never saw myself as somebody with a sales personality. Um, but what I had going for me is that I knew the, the floor plans and the options and the houses very well from having built them and then having been involved in purchasing. So that really gave me much more of an advantage than I thought in terms of selling because I, I really knew how to take what people would tell me that they wanted and then plug it into one of the plans in the collection with the right option packages. But it was tricky. I was very uncomfortable doing it at first and um, had to get 
used to being in a, a very extroverted sales type role. Okay. Within within your career within within the company, did you did you go out and search for those opportunities to learn new skills, or was that just part of the upward trajectory within your career? I did. Uh, the company would post any internal opportunities, and I jumped at most of them. Um, I, I've often told some people that work for me that I've never applied for a job that I was actually qualified for. I just kind of have that drive within me and want to develop, want to grow. And so anytime there'd be an opportunity that was of interest to me, whether or not I felt like I met all the qualifications in the job posting, I would go for it. And uh, more often than not, they would uh, take a chance on me and it worked out well. <laughs> right. Okay. And then and then your career took a, a, a slight diversion, if, if you don't mind me saying so. You you then pivoted your career into the franchise business. Is Is that correct? That's right. So after 12 years with that company at the time, I was in Florida overseeing construction operations for the Tampa Bay region. I was approached by a recruiter who was recruiting on behalf of a home building franchise in also based in Florida. And uh, even being in the industry for 12 years, I was not even aware of the fact that there were home building franchises out there. <laughs> I was aware of the company that approached me, but mm -hmm. I didn't know that they were a franchise. And as I started talking to them, I really got interested in this whole idea of working with smaller builders and providing them the same level of tools and systems and processes that large public builders get, but are out of reach for most small builders. So it's it's really an interesting marriage of the two industries, franchising and home building, and uh, really enjoyed that unexpected turn in my career at that company and then later at the company that I'm with right now. Right. Okay. And then, so, so I don't want to talk about your competitors on here, but let's let's discuss them because it's two different businesses. And I'll be honest, I only know two franchise companies in the US. Are, are, there, are there many more out there? There are two others in addition to the two that you know of that right. are doing any kind of substantial volume. Now, from time to time, as I'm talking to people in the industry, I, I hear from people that say they have a, a new great home building franchise concept and haven't heard any of those other ones taking off yet. But of the ones that are really the players in the home building industry right now, we all do different things and hmm. I have great things to say about each of them. I think we, we do some things better than they do. They do some things better than we do. One's focused on custom home building. We're focused on 55 plus housing. Uh, others are focused on remodeling for the most part. And then uh, another is focused on more entry level on your lot home building. So right. the, the good news is, yes, there are a few of us, but there's really not a lot of crossover. And I, I still keep in contact with my old company quite a bit, share ideas and um, give them my ideas as well. Okay. Okay. Uh, for anybody who wants to know, that's AR Homes, but um, that is the only other company that I know. Um, so Epcom Franchising, where... Where were they when when you joined the business? What was the what was the market and the kind of size of the, the operation? So it was late 2018 when I was approached by Epcon Franchising to come meet with them, and they had a small franchising team. Prior to the Great Recession, they had a pretty large franchise team. They had 25 people and dozens of franchises, mm. and that had slowly unraveled over time through that recession. And then they hadn't 
put a whole lot of effort into building it back up. And they had focused really on the corporate home building operation, which is still substantial and wanted to make sure that survived and thrived. Mm -hmm. And they felt by bringing me in, they would have the opportunity to really start to invest more in the franchising company, grow a larger team, add more franchises, go after different types of franchisees. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we've been focused on the last few years. When I came here, there was, the team was three people and we're up to about 15 people now serving our franchises. And we had somewhere in the low forties in terms of franchise builders. And now we're in the low eighties. So the last three and a half years have been really good despite a lot of the challenges within the industry, but it just shows how, how important it is for builders to feel like they have a partner. They're, they're with somebody, a larger group that they can bounce ideas off of and benefit from in terms of research and development and shared marketing assets, things like that. I'm sure it's a, a little bit of each. I'm sure it's a, a, a bit of Etcon's, you know, push to, to bring more franchisees in. Yeah. Is there, do you feel that there's a growth of the smaller SME builder within the US marketplace, though, in, in general? I think so. There's um, a number of substantial builders, even in our network, that don't do exclusively Epcon Communities projects. They'll do entry-level housing, move-up housing as well. And I, I've been impressed at how large some of them have grown in the last two years alone, just with the boom that's happening. And, th- and they're doing it the right way, too. They're, they're still growing their teams and making sure that the customer experience is great, but they've been able to really squeeze out uh, some of the even national builders in their markets for opportunities um, just because they have that local relationship and and buyers really do like working with somebody that's more local, somebody that's more involved in their community. So that's another way that I think we have a good benefit because yes, we're a large national network, but everybody's still dealing with a local owner, a local resident in their market and not just a big public corporation. And in, in terms, do you, the, the, the business development side from Epcon, are you, are you going out there targeting specific franchise franchise bees or, or how, how do they, how do they contact? How, how does that relationship start? Well, we have a great marketing team, so we invest a lot in search engine optimization, ads on Facebook, LinkedIn, things like that, just to raise awareness. Because as I said, 12 years in the industry, I didn't know there was such a concept. And, and we still get that a lot when we talk to people in the early stages. They say, I don't even, didn't even know something like this existed. Now, in addition to that, we do target some areas of the country and we'll do a lot of direct outreach Um hold informational meetings in those markets to start to talk to the the right people that fit our ideal profile. And so I would say it's probably two thirds, just good marketing leads that come to us and start conversations. And then about one third are people that we specifically reach out to because they're a good builder in a great market. And we mm-hmm. can see that they don't do the 55 plus housing that we do. And so we can approach them with a diversification play that right now, most of your business is focused on this segment. Have you thought about adding this segment in? And by the way, we can get you to market quickly because we have a proven plan collection and all these processes, systems, and, and tools that are available to you to get going quickly. You don't have to start this new segment of your business from scratch. What, what's a proven plan collection? Just for my... Oh, it's our home design. So our portfolio of floor plans. Okay. And then when, when you've approached these people or they're 
they've approached you either way around. Obviously, the natural salesman in you then kicks in, Paul, and you, <laughs> you know, you convince them it's a great opportunity. But is it because, you know, I guess these people are a representative of the Epcon brand? For the most part, it's under the Epcon brand. Um, for people that we bring in that are already fairly large regional builders, we do give them the option to continue to use their brand name. We still have our logo, so we kind of co-brand in that scenario mm. where it would say the builder's name that's known in the market, but then also have the Epcon community's logo. And that provides them an opportunity to tell the story of why are we doing something different? This is a new concept for us. Epcon's been doing this for over three decades and you're still working with us as your local builder, but we've decided to uh, bring this exciting new concept into our market. Right. Okay. So then, you know, taking these franchisees on, yeah, you know, they are very much part of your brand. You know, is, is there a, is the interview, pro, do, is there an interview process? There is. Yeah. We, we say that we don't sell these franchises. We award the franchises. So there's a process. It's it's not extensive, but in the beginning, we're meeting with them virtually, talking about their goals for the business, what the culture's like at their company. And then there are some in-person meetings just to make sure that there's a fit on both sides. Maybe they don't think we're a fit for them or mm. we don't think they're a fit for us, but it is very important. It's, it's a close relationship over multiple years if they're going to do multiple projects. And we want to make sure that it works for both sides. Right. Okay. And then I'm, you know, I'm assuming just like within a, in a business, there's, there's a different level of success between the different businesses. Yeah. You know, what do, do, can you, do you often notice that right at the, the first meeting with them? You know, do you, do you have a feeling yet, yeah, you know, this is going to be a flyer or, you know, is this going to perform well, but maybe not. Do, 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 do you now have that? feeling you know early on i think we do and i i hear from we, we do have a business development team that works with all the inquiries early in the process and they'll tell me from time to time about somebody that they spoke with that wasn't a fit and they'll kind of tell me why um but then there yeah there are times where some people do get into later stages and then as i start interacting with them i start to get concerns of my own and think maybe this isn't the type of person that really wants to do something this comprehensive. And so we end it there. But for the most part, by the time I'm introduced to somebody, we know a lot about them. We know what their team looks like. We know what their goals are. We know if they're new to the industry, which happens sometimes, they, they might right. be a commercial developer. Then we've already had conversations about what their team is going to look like, who they're going to hire. Maybe even in some cases, we've met the people that they intend to hire. And so we start to get comfortable that, yes, this is going to work because they're really committed to doing it the right way. And that's of course essential in a franchise setting because if you're purchasing a franchise, you're purchasing a business plan and it's important that you stick with it, even though it doesn't always happen that way. Yeah. Are there any, you know, common traits between the, the, you know, the, the high achieving franchises and. I think the common traits of the high achieving ones would be that they're all very driven and are all very humble enough to know where they're, blind spots and weaknesses are. And I can think of one of our largest franchises who uh, about two years ago, just finally made the decision, realized he's a visionary. He needs somebody that's an integrator and hired a new COO position. So he can focus on 
big things, broken things, big picture ideas, and then leave the more of the day-to-day to this new COO. And that's made a, a tremendous difference for him. He's grown quite a bit in those last couple of years already. And so we want people that are smart enough to know that they don't know everything, can't do everything, and need to surround themselves with really bright, intelligent people. So you guys, you you've, you you have an interesting dynamic because you've got your your own internal team to look after and to lead. But did you, did you say they're up to fifty? Was it up to fifteen people? Yes. Yeah, and then you've also got these, you know, external. You know, I'm assuming they're all quite entrepreneurial in spirit, the franchisees, and they've gone out by themselves because they they want to run their own businesses. Do you, you know, do you, do you need to lead and and manage those guys? as well as your internal team? It is an interesting dual role because as my job, in my role, I have internal customers that are my employees that I want to invest in and make sure that they have what they need to be successful. But then we also have our external customers and they're our franchise builders. And sometimes they need some guidance. Uh, many of them are, are very self-sufficient, so that's not a big issue. Um, but for me, I, I am pouring most of my time into developing the internal team here so that they are equipped to then lead the franchise builders. Uh, just as we grow, it's it's not sustainable for me to be as involved with 80-some franchises as I was three and a half years ago with 40-some franchises. Right. Okay. So just on, just on that kind of same note, so COVID hits in 2020, you know, let, let's say you got 70, 80 franchises. Yeah. They must all have been looking to you <laughs> yeah for what are the answers because I, I i was part of a mentorship group as well and, and the whole group was looking to the you know the, the, the leader you know what are the answers what are we doing in this marketplace I, i'm assuming you probably had something similar happen we did certainly and we have the the added benefit of having an affiliate company that builds houses as well. And so what we're often able to do in in a situation like that, and we did throughout the the really tough periods of the pandemic, communicate what Epcon was doing on the corporate home building side and share those ideas, get feedback from the franchise builders on things that they might've been doing that we hadn't thought of that were working as well. And that is a big benefit that we talk about in our recruitment process for new franchises, just the ability to be talking to 80 some builders across the country that are doing the same thing that you're doing, but not competing with you and getting that knowledge, getting ideas, and then also hearing from the corporate home building company that does hundreds of houses on its own and communicating out what we were doing to um do virtual tours of model homes, do after hours, self-guided tours of model homes, um, how we were converting contracts uh, virtually at the time and Mm -hmm. really giving everyone a sense of certainty that the the world wasn't ending at the time and that there were still good ideas out there and ways to do business in a very difficult period. Did COVID, did it did it highlight, you, you, you have touched on a few of them just then in, in terms of what you learned, but did it highlight any inefficiencies within the business that you have rectified in the business? I think it really propelled the industry forward and, and housing is an industry that has been behind in terms of technology adoption. But just before, if, if you were to ask home builders in February of 2020, do you think that People will buy without ever seeing a house or seeing a model home. They probably would have laughed at you. But 
We certainly did that many times and are continuing to do it. And that's driving us to really invest in technology to move as much of the buying process online as we can and getting new tools out there for visualizing our, our floor plan collections. So buyers don't have to go to a model home. We still think model homes are important right now, yeah. um, but over time they're going to become less important. And it's important for us to be at the forefront of all this new visualization technology that's still in its infancy in a lot of ways, just because home building is so complex and there's so many pieces and parts to put together. Um, but it's coming to the point where I would say in five years, maybe 10 years at most, we'll be doing most of our business online as home builders. Okay. With, with people literally buying without having gone to see the, the product. That's right. They see everything just in a virtual setting on their mobile device or laptop, mm -hmm. make all their selections down to the type of cabinet knobs in the kitchen and are able to basically just send a wire transfer for their down payment, sign the contract right. through some kind of virtual signature service. And we may not meet them until the pre-construction meeting when we're ready to start the house. I think, you know, I think that's an amazing concept. I've been, you know, busy buying a, a, a property relatively recently, but it's, it's about having tr trust and faith in the home builder that the images and particularly the you know the the, uh, the angle of which the properties is taken from is actually too to scale. You know, there's lots of places I looked at, and you know, using fisheye lenses, it makes the makes the rooms look massive, and then you go and see them, and, and that's <laughs> you know that's not the case. <laughs> you know, that, that's obviously important. Is is that something that you're you're really aware of, or is it? You know, we're kind of in the infancy stages of these types of tools going, right, okay, how, how, well, I know you have to be honest, but how honest do we have to be, you know, to, I don't know if I made a, a, a question there or a statement, yeah. but just your, just your thoughts on, on selling to somebody online and, and yeah, just your thoughts. Yeah. Well, I, I can think back to when I would build houses for people many years ago. They would walk through the house during construction and they would be shocked at how small everything seemed to them. All the rooms seemed small to them, smaller than they were expecting. So you'd have the same thing in a 3D visualization setting that everything would look small. But if you are able to do furnishings in there and start to show the scale of the room, that's really the key. So just like in a model home setting, you're typically not going to leave your model home unfurnished. You're going to put the furniture in there so people can visualize it. It's important that any of these visualization tools that are coming out online have that same capability so people can start to get a sense of, okay, my kitchen table looks similar to that. It fits there. Couch fits over here. Uh, because, yeah, if, if it was just a blank house that you're yeah. walking through virtually, um, it might feel big. It might feel small. There's no way to really know. And there could be some surprises if it's, very small and they didn't that the builder didn't put the right types of things in that setting for you to get a sense of what the space actually feels like okay and then you know with with regards to um you know the the, the growth of what what's what's the plans for the business over the next five years so kind of moving you know towards technology but is it you know is it taking on more partners and you know what, what 
what does it look like over the next five years for you? Yeah, we feel that we still have a, a great opportunity to continue to add new markets. And a good thing about what we do is it's very scalable. So every new builder that we add is not a tremendous amount of additional effort for us because the tools are all in place, the, the plans are already developed, the home designs are already developed. And there's many markets that we're not in right now that could use our product. And mm. we are even starting to look at areas north of the border. And we have a, a Canadian franchise agreement ready to go later this year. So we'll start talking to builders up there. Okay. And then in terms of your, in, in terms of a growth, what, what do you see the obstacles to growth as being? Right now, and this would be consistent with nearly anybody you talk to in the industry, but it's it's getting land under contract to develop. And that's just become very competitive with the boom in the housing market. And I've noticed just if I look back at builders we added in 2020, within six months or so, most of them would have that project location under contract. They would start developing it and titling it. And now that's stretching more to eight or nine months in most, ca most cases for any new builder that we bring in in 2022. So I think that's the, the big challenge right now, though what we do does offer some benefits because we are a 55 plus builder. So anytime we're going before a city or a township to talk about our project, there's benefits. Our people don't provide as much traffic as a typical single family detached community. They don't burden the schools, so it's actually a benefit in most places where property taxes fund the schools. So it's a windfall for the local school district, which in growing areas is starting to get taxed so um, and stretched thin. So it, it's it's a benefit for us when we do get something under contract to get it approved quickly. How does one of your you know how, how does one of your associates how do they you know, because land, you know, is probably you know, it's probably the most in demand skill set which which we recruit for, like by by far at the moment. How does how how do you help your franchisees compete? You know, with the with with the bigger players in the marketplace. I'm, you know, it's probably a whole episode we could do on this. <laughs> but you know, what what support do you give? You know them. Yeah, that could be a whole episode. We, we have an individual on our team who works with all the franchise builders on land from the point of investigating areas of their market to look in all the way up until they are actually developing the sites, putting the streets in. Mm. Um, how we're able to help. And remember, we're dealing in a lot of cases with smaller building companies that have just joined us and want to grow. So we're able to provide a history of our sales results across the country to show a potential land seller, just the, the quick absorption that we typically go through a community and give them peace of mind that we're able to perform and that we know what we're doing in terms of areas that we want to look at. Um, we are collecting data from all the projects that we have going across the country to start to work out what some of the rules of thumb are, as we call them, to what makes a location work for an Epcon Communities project. So. We're looking at things like the surrounding home values, surrounding incomes, and uh, even how close something is to a supermarket or a, a medical office, um, things that are very important to our buyers. So we just give them the additional tools and knowledge that they need to be able to go to a, a land seller with confidence that they're going to take good care of the land that they're selling and develop it quickly and be successful in this project. 
Okay. And then, you know, the other big pressure which seems to be on most of our clients at the moment is supply chains. Yeah. Because of how you build and, uh, you know, and each business is working in, independently, do, do they all, are they all using their own general contractors and site teams or, or is there a, a central contract that you guys have? They're all using local subcontractors for land development and vertical construction. But where we're able to step in is we combine all the volume that these builders are doing across the country and then put together programs with national account vendors. So they're able to get great pricing and rebates on Delta faucets or Sherwin-Williams paint. And that's also been a benefit in the supply chain crisis that these suppliers are looking at all of us as a combined network and giving us the benefits and priority. Um, Lennox comes to mind. HVAC is one that's really stepped up and, and given us a lot of preferential treatment in terms of mm-hmm. product availability. And honestly, though, it's it's an area that we need to get even better at because we don't enforce, the, we, we don't mandate that the franchises have to use these products. And there's actually talk coming from the franchises that they would like us to require usage of certain categories like windows or plumbing fixtures just to have then a bulk buying group that can get material availability in this time of crisis. So we're starting to look at that. And I think that is one where we can get better, where if we can get at least the the lion's share of our franchises to agree that they're all going to do this type of window, um, then that's going to make that program even better and make sure we get product availability when we need it. Okay. And then it will be your role to to manage those relationships with the, the different suppliers. You know, is is that is that a big part of? Because um, you know, I, I had a conversation the other day with a, a VP of supply chain management, and I was like, to be honest, I can't think of many people in the whole industry who have that title. And, and making, you know, and his particular company is making supply chain like an absolute fundamental part of, of their business, you know, as important as construction, land, etc. Maybe not as important as those between us, but, uh, you know, they, they're, they're moving that way. You know, do you, do you, do you think that is a, a, you know, a discipline in itself? Or do you think that, you know, can still be managed by, you know, by, by another sector, whether that's purchasing or. Yeah, especially in today's environment, that is a discipline unto itself. And the, the model that I would have in mind is that national builder I was with, they had an entire procurement team that would make sure that pricing rebates and material availability was, was good by different categories. So there would be one gentleman that was responsible for plumbing fixtures, one for siding. And so they had it broken down by commodities. Here we have an individual on the franchise team. Just taking you back, is that often though not then really making it like a straightforward commodity? Whereas these supply these suppliers need more of a a relationship built in, so they're seen as more of a a partner rather than we surprise you know we supply insulation HVAC systems and and somebody who's more of a, a a relationship manager. Yeah. And I would say in most outside of the national builders, that function is just done by somebody in purchasing and it's not that person's full-time job. And it, it really could be uh, when we, when we're talking about doing hundreds of homes per year in a market, ensuring that you have 
the commitments from all the vendors to get what you need uh, really should be somebody that is just working with subcontractors, national account representatives, everything. And that is something that we have on the franchising team where we have an individual who that's one of his primary functions to make sure that all of our programs are up to date and that we're, we're getting supplied as we need to. And then in terms of, you know, the, the industry and, and how it's changed. So, so technology is going to be a big influence on, on the market. Supply chain, land is going to be a big influence on the marketplace. What about attracting people to an industry that, that from the outside is quite often seen as, as, as maybe aggressive or seen as boom and, you know, a boom and bust type of industry you know do you, th- do you think there's anything that, that for we as recruiters you as home builders should should really be be doing to you know to um to address these issues yeah and i think back to my time when i was in florida recruiting mm-hmm. new project managers new builders and i would go to some of the universities around town and try to meet with them people that are graduating from a construction management program as one example and they would talk about how they were excited to go into commercial construction or even land development and home building never really entered their minds at all. So I think we certainly do have a messaging problem. And yes, we have our flaws. We, we are to an extent a boom and bust um, because we're, we're so fragmented as an industry that there's not any handful of players that really control the volume in a market. It's, it's basically when things are good, we sell as much as we can. And when they're not, we still sell as much as we can. And then the results are <laughs> the volume varies quite a bit over time. Yeah. Um, but I think the messaging that we need to get out to people in these programs at universities to get them into home building is to just talk about the personal connection that we all get to have with people as we build their homes. And I mentioned that earlier, that was one of my favorite parts okay. of being a project manager is just getting to know these people and working through, and I, I love challenges, so maybe I'm unique in that way, but mm-hmm. but every day was kind of a different thing on a, one of the different customers, something to work through. And it was fun to communicate with them and talk through that and get to know them. And there's people that I built houses for 15 years ago that I'm still in touch with. And you're just not going to get that doing, yes, an exciting commercial skyscraper, but just a different level of personal connection and fulfillment when you can look back and see, okay, that's a neighborhood that I built and I know all the people that live in there and mm. they're all happy and yeah. I can feel really good about that. Right. Fantastic. Just look, just one final question before, before we go. If you could go back in time at the start of your home building career, you know, what one piece of advice would you give yourself? I would say don't be afraid to make mistakes. Um, I came into the industry not knowing anything really about construction. And so I was pretty timid in the beginning and held back a lot. And over time, I started to get a sense that I could take some risks and trust my gut a little bit. And I, I wish that I had gotten to that point faster to know that in in what I would do in a typical day back then. There was not anything that was going to be catastrophic if I made a mistake. Nearly everything is fixable as you're building a house. And so I would challenge myself going back then to be a little more creative, take some some more risks and really push yourself to um, do some exciting things versus just sitting back and, and kind of letting things play out themselves. 
Okay. Right, Paul, just um, in case anybody listening to this uh, has an interest in, in Epcom franchising, franchising in general, has any questions for you, is there a way which they can get in contact with you? Uh, EpconFranchising.com. And then I always love connecting with people on LinkedIn. I try to be very active there. So feel free to seek me out there and get a connection going. Okay. All right, Paul. Uh, great speaking to you and uh, good luck. And I'll catch up with you soon. Take care. All right. Thank you. Great talking Bye-bye. to you. This podcast was brought to you by U.S. Human Capital, supporting mid to senior level home building recruitment needs. Contact us on 813-556-6575 to speak to one of the team today. And don't forget to leave your comments and suggestions after this podcast. Your feedback helps us to keep improving and bring you the best content.